Section one of One by Crime. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. One by Crime by Frank Pinkerton. Chapter one, part one. A young girl, about eighteen, with a slender, elegant form, beautiful straight features, and eyes of softest darkness, sitting before a large table covered with maps and drawings, which she was trying to vainly study. "'It is no use,' she cried at last, pushing back the mass of thick black hair falling over her white brow. "'I shall never be able to get India by heart, unless I can see the places. I wish papa would let us go reconnoitering amongst the ruined temples and other mysterious buildings. It is so annoying staying here day after day, never seeing anything outside the palace.' "'My dear Leonore,' said her companion, a young man scarcely older than herself, and wonderfully like her, "'what new idea have you got now?' "'An idea of seeing more of the curious places I have read so much about. Fancy living a lifetime in a country and never going beyond one town. If I do not get some excitement, I shall die of ennui, so I warn you.' "'I quite agree with you, and if Uncle would only let us, it would be delightful.' seeking out the temple so long deserted. But you know he would not, shrugging his shoulders. I am not so sure of that. Papa never refuses me anything, and when he sees it is necessary to my happiness I should go, he will consent. Anyhow I will try, jumping eagerly to her feet. Come, Leon. Her cousin rose, and took the white, outstretched hand. Then, like two children, they crossed the beautiful marble hall, until, arriving before a door draped with rich curtains, Leonore paused and softly knocked. "'Come in,' rather impatiently. With a smile Leonore opened the door, and entered, followed by Pantaleon. In the room, handsomely fitted up as a study, sat a fine-looking middle-aged man, busily writing. His dark face wore an expression of severity as he glanced toward the intruders. It quickly faded, however, on seeing the pretty figure standing there. Instead, a gentle smile wreathed his lips. "'Well, Leonore, dearest, what is it?' "'Papa,' and the girl stole noiselessly behind his chair, winding her arms around his neck. "'I am so miserable. I have nothing to amuse me, and unless you do something to make me happier, I shall go melancholy mad.' "'My dearest child, what is the matter? Are you ill?' anxiously turning to peer into the lovely face. "'No, papa, but I am so tired of this life.' "'That is not like my little girl, and I have tried hard to make you happy. Nothing in reason I have refused you. Jewels such as a queen might envy, priceless stuffs to deck your pretty form, and other things which no girl of your age ever possessed,' reproachfully. Leonore bent down and kissed his brow, lovingly, repentingly. "'You have been a great deal too good to me,' But there is something more I wish to ask. It will make me happy if you grant my request. We shall see. Tell me first what it is. Leonore briefly related her wish to visit the old temple which lay beyond Goa, to search with Pantaleon the curious old ruins she had often read of in her studies. Don Gratia looked grave. Evidently this project did not find much favor in his eyes. A Portuguese by birth, but sent to Goa as viceroy, Don Garcia de Sa had lived there long enough to know the treacherous nature of the Brahmins who dwelt near, and feared to let his child run the risk of being found and captured. 
But as Leonore had truly remarked, he loved his daughter so passionately that he very rarely refused her anything, even though he doubted the wisdom of complying with her wishes. Papa, the sweet voice was very coaxing, and the red lips close to his cheek, say yes, darling, it will make me so happy. But suppose any danger should threaten you. I should be there to defend my cousin with my life, Leon cried fervently. Don Gracia smiled. You speak bravely, my boy, but as yet you are very young. However, as Leonor has set her heart upon this expedition, I suppose I must say yes. In case of danger, I will send some soldiers to escort you. Oh, thank you, papa. I am so glad. Come, Leon, we will make haste, so as to set off ere the day gets more advanced. And warmly embracing her father, the girl sped swiftly away, followed by her cousin. In half an hour the cortege was ready, and after some little hesitation on Don Garcia's part, they started. Leonor, with her two favorite maids, Lali and Tala, were cosily seated on a palanquin carried by four strong men. Before clearing her path from all difficulties, went a body of twenty-five soldiers. Beside her, Pantaleon kept up a cheerful conversation, pointing out the beauties of the palaces through which they passed. Some twenty natives, armed with poniards, brought up the rear. Toki, a native who had grown old in the viceroy's palace, led the way toward one of the ruined temples, that erected to Shiva, the god of destruction. Leonor gazed with awed eyes at the magnificent palace, still bearing traces of former beauty. How wonderful! I must stay here, Leon, and sketch those old statues. We need go no farther. The day was beginning to get intensely hot, so the men were nothing loath to seek shelter in the cool temple, to sleep away the sunny hours. Sketchbook in hand, the girl chose a shady retreat outside, and was soon lost in her work. Presently the dreamy silence was broken, faint cries from afar ahead reached her, and looking hastily up, Leonor saw a sight which made her stand rooted to the spot in speechless horror. In the distance, pouring out from the mountains, were a multitude of Indians clad in diverse costumes, carrying in their hands fantastic idols, and followed by a train of Brahmins, singing a low, monotonous chant, which had warned the girl of their approach. Recovering her self-possession, and calling to the startled servants, Leonor entered the temple, where Pantaleon and the men were quietly dozing. "'Leon, awake! The Indians are coming!' The youth sprang to his feet, and flinging one arm around his cousin, he drew a sharp poniard from his sash, and clutched it, firmly. "'Do not be afraid, Leonore. I will guard you with my life,' he said bravely. "'But is there no way to escape?' Leonore asked wildly, frightened at the peril into which her folly had brought them all. "'We might have gone, but it is too late. They are here,' Toki said gravely. "'The only thing we can do is to hide amongst these broken statues.' and perhaps we may be safe from their view. Scarcely had this been done than the procession arrived, stopped before the temple, and the men commenced building a huge square pile of wood, and on this they placed a bier, on which lay the corpse of an old man, decked with silks and costly jewels. Leonor and Pantaleon, watching from their hiding-place the strange preparations, now saw a girl, very young and beautiful, but weeping bitterly, being dragged toward the pile by a tall, hard-looking woman. "'Come!' she cried, in loud, ringing tones. 
Now is the time to uphold the honor of your family and show your courage. With a shudder the girl drew back, and clasping her hands piteously together, said, Why should I thus sacrifice my young life to the cruelty of your customs? I cannot endure the thought of being burnt alive. It is too horrible. It is your duty. A woman must follow her husband in death, coldly. The young widow burst into passionate weeping, and gave an agonized glance around at the vindictive faces. Not one among that multitude, she thought, felt pity for the girl who was condemned to so horrible a fate. End of section one.